Welcome to this exclusive mini-series, Unlocking Net Zero, hosted by Unlocking Ambition alumni and friend, Dr. Stephanie Terney-Brown. In this series, Dr. Stephanie interviews outstanding entrepreneurial founders from all across Scotland, doing incredible things to help our net zero ambitions to become a reality. We know you'll enjoy listening in on this founder-to-founder conversation. We hope you'll be inspired by the innovative ways in which Scottish companies are revolutionising their own operations, leading the way in showing what Scotland is capable of as we transition to a net zero economy. As always, the views of our guests will not always reflect those of Unlocking Ambition or our partners. We welcome the breadth of opinions and approaches to tackling climate change. And not only can you enjoy their conversation today, but you can get involved too. Find us online on Twitter and LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you and your story of how you are also unlocking net zero. Welcome to this Unlocking Net Zero podcast with me, Dr. Stephanie Tereni-Brown, co-founder of Clean Water Wave, one of the original Unlocking Ambition cohort. This series is exploring Scotland's most innovative founders of startups and businesses that are really delivering on net zero contributions. And we're doing this in the lead up to the next UN Climate Change Conference, COP26, which will be hosted in Glasgow, where a net zero carbon future, natural habitat protection, financing of climate solutions and collaborative actions are the four key priority areas. Today, we've got something a little bit different, not a founder of a business, but a pioneer in many areas. Uh, Francis Guy, you are newly in post as the CEO of Scotland's International Development Alliance. You were previously British government ambassador to Yemen and to Lebanon. You've been the UN women's representative in Iraq and the head of the Middle East for one of the largest international organizations on the planet, Christian Aid. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for joining us, um, Francis. And I think uh, probably not something that most of our audience will have uh, come across before. I think your experience uh, in the international development world um, but I think that there's a lot of crossover and a lot of learning to be had with the, the business community. I think, first of all, it'd be really interesting for you to tell us a bit about your new role and a bit about Scotland's International Development Alliance. Who are they? What are you doing? What, what, tell, us, tell us about it. Yes, certainly. Thank you, Stephanie. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so Scotland's International Development Alliance is a network of members. So we're a membership body um, of of members who are anyone basically who's committed to working for a fairer world free from poverty, injustice and environmental threats. And traditionally people have seen that as NGOs, but we are really quite determined that everybody has a role to play in international development. So that means universities, it means trade unions, and it also means the business community, especially where businesses are working overseas or wishing to work overseas. And it's part of something that we've, we, and to be fair, the Scottish government have, have pushed for quite a while, which is this idea of 
policy coherence. So the fact that you can't do something at home without it affecting what happens overseas and the fact that we are all linked up together. So we would really welcome many more members from the business community as long as you're signed up to some ethical principles. Um, you know, I used to work for the UN, as Stephanie has said, so one start to easy starting point for what might be an ethical principle is to look at some of the principles of the Global Compact. I would like to think that some of your members might have signed up to the Global Compact. It's very interesting to see that if you look at members from the UK, there's an awful lot who have signed up in the last year, which is great because that shows that there's an impact of the fact that we're hosting COP26 in the UK and in Glasgow this year. Sorry, I diverged a little bit there, but thank you. <laughs> no, not at all. I think it's very interesting. I think particularly within the Unlocking Ambition cohort, which is a group of kind of startup businesses that Scottish Enterprise have identified as having true impact and purpose built into their businesses, but they're also very scalable businesses. So this idea of businesses that have kind of purpose at their heart, I think there is a real interest from a lot of founders um, and innovators at the moment in Scotland in particular, who are really keen to build in, you know, develop their businesses, but develop their businesses with impact at the heart. So I think what you've just said links in very closely to, I think, some of the, the businesses that, that I'm, you know, friends with and, and know within our networks. So I think there's certainly scope for, for collaboration there. Um, tell us a bit about how the Alliance is bringing climate change to, to the fore um, into people's consciousness and, and what you, the work that you and your network members are doing in the climate change space. So uh, we have members in nearly 100, you know, who are working in about over 100 countries, basically. So there's a lot of scope for people to be doing a lot more about climate and climate justice. And I think that that nearly all of our members would argue that they are doing, trying to do something in this space, whether it's about encouraging their partners to be thinking about uh, their environmental impact or whether it's working with people really on the front line of climate change, you know, who, who have seen their daily lives devastated by uh, droughts or floods or whatever. So there's, the, there's that kind of humanitarian aspect, but then there's also a kind of helping people to adapt to what is, the, what is happening in their environment. So thinking about more resilient crops, thinking about how you access clean water, maybe in different ways, or at least how you manage your water uh, better because you're going to have less of it. Or So there's people really involved very much on the front line, with some of our members very much involved with their partners on the front line of that. Um, and there's people who are bringing some of their members to Glasgow to help talk about that because I think that, you know, whilst we talk a lot about climate change, we often forget that it's those who've contributed the least who are affected the most. Um, and if I can do a little plug, <laughs> if I'm allowed, we launched an online exhibition last week called Facing the Crisis, which you can find on facingthecrisis.scot. 
and um, it just tells its photographs and videos and it just tells some of the stories of, of exactly that of people um, on the front line of climate change and what that really means to some people's lives and yeah I just think it's a good way of remembering that what we do in a, you know what we all do everywhere but especially in the more developed world affects everybody everywhere um so it's and so to, to go back to your question that is kind of what we you know so our members are engaged in this in practical terms but as an alliance we're also trying to as i said go back to that idea of of that we need to integrate all of this policy together that everything everything has an impact on as i say on everybody but also on what happens in other places of the world very interesting and i think in the lead up to launching your Facing the Crisis exhibition. You wrote a very moving article um, in The Scotsman where you were talking about the climate crisis and how it affects different people in different ways. And, um, and in it, you wrote that the climate crisis is a matter of, injust of justice and injustice. And I, I think it speaks to what you were just saying there about you know, something that happened with living our lives here in Scotland and not really cognizant sometimes of the impact that that might have on, on somebody else. And I was just wondering if you could um, talk a little bit about, about climate crisis and, and, um, and justice and how, um, what that actually means. So there might be some people in, you know, in our business community in particular who might not be that familiar with the concept of, of justice actually in, in climate change talk. Well, I think that part of it is what I just said. It's the idea that those who've contributed the least, so have the smallest emissions. And there's a, there's a website where you can check, you know, different countries per capita emissions. And, you know, Scotland has something like eight, a person in Scotland has something like 80 times the daily emissions of somebody in Rwanda, for example. <laughs> 80 times is kind of incomprehensible but somebody in Rwanda is facing more droughts and more floods than than we are perhaps the more telling example are the small island states where again uh, people have very very small emissions but are watching sea levels rising basically in front of their eyes and may have to even uh, evacuate their 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 life, their lives, basically. So there's a there's a bit in COP26, which is about, well, in, in the whole, the process since Paris, in fact, which has been a commitment to trying to help uh, some of those most affected um, adapt their lives as far as possible. And as I say, in some of the small island states, it may not be possible, but okay, help, help them build ways of, of combating encroaching sea levels. So a commitment to finance. So there's a financial piece in it. Um, but there's also another piece, which is about recognizing that our, our path to development, our path to the wealth that we enjoy on a, on a daily basis, created a lot of carbon emissions. And it's quite hard for us now then to turn around and say to other people who, who live in much poorer situations than we do, who maybe don't have electricity, who don't have uh, the selection of goods that we have to, to buy every day, um, to tell them that they don't have a right to, 
to that because if they do that they will create even more carbon emissions than than we did because of population uh, and and therefore they they mustn't do that so no actually we need to find a way of helping others not do the carbon piece there is and we can see this in africa already actually and it's quite exciting in fact we can see it so if i take an example that i'm a little bit familiar with which is about mobile phone networks. Mm -hmm. um, so transmitters in rural areas traditionally were run by um, generators using diesel and all the rest of it. But now there's a commitment by the, by the global telephone networks that they will transform all of that into solar power or renewables in the next five years. So it's a really short-term commitment. But the great thing about that is that actually there are some projects that are trying to convince them that you, while you're doing that, you can also create some microgrids for the villages that are nearby. You don't need to have just this solar power piece just for a, just for a transmitter. You could actually help a whole village. And if you were really committed to gender equality as part of this, for example, you could have some women in the local village managing that microgrid, guaranteeing the supply to the transmitter, but at the same time managing the whole power supply to the village. And it, if you want transformative outcomes, that, that's a brilliant example. So just to say that thinking slightly more imaginatively even about, so first of all, you have to commend, uh, in that case, the Global Telecoms um, Association, so some international association, for committing to that renewables uh, target. <laughs> the push is to try and encourage them to do it in a more imaginative way so that other people will also benefit. And I think that's maybe the, the you know, perhaps a thought to, for all businesses is that, so yes, first of all, Let's think about our carbon footprint. Let's think about what that means, especially if we're doing businesses overseas. Let's try and ensure that our supply chains are, you know, are as low carbon emitting as possible. But at the same time, let's maybe think about what, what that means at, at, at that very initial level. Is there something we could do a bit differently that actually would be transformative and would help people not in the future, not emit, but also, but also develop and also get more education and also, you know, just everything else at the same time. Sorry if I sound enthusiastic, but I think I do think that there's um, really imaginative ways that you can that you can change lives positively and benefit as well. I think it's brilliant because there's a lot in there that I think that resonates with the, the Scottish business community, particularly with startups. Partly, I mean, you mentioned there, you know, the telecoms industry and and the kind of push towards digitization. And there's a lot of really interesting companies in Scotland that are working on digital health, that are working on kind of satellite and data information, things that really speak to. I think probably your members actually within the Alliance, there's a lot of crossover that I think we could explore. Um, but also in terms of, you know, when, when you were just talking there about those transformative outcomes for, you know, for community members, for, for people, um, in that case, that was really being driven by, by business, in this case, the telecoms company, but it was also being pushed by that collaboration with maybe local charities, local communities, in terms of trying to not just push 
the innovation in the technology, but also in the approach. How are they implementing it? How are they working on the ground? And I think there's a lot of um, crossover and a lot of learning maybe that the Scottish business community, particularly when they're working internationally, could, could draw from that. So I think there's some really interesting spaces that we could explore there. Um, there's always cross-learning as well exactly. and I think that you know that's the, the what our facing the crisis at exhibition also uh, demonstrates is that there are people for example in Indonesia doing recycling plastic in a way that we haven't even dreamt of you know using plastic I mean it's, that's a little bit unfair because I actually have come across this week that we can make plastic bottles into into clothes so there are some companies that are doing that but and so to be fair that is what they're doing in this project in Indonesia but I hadn't realized that there were companies doing that in the UK yeah. as well so okay that's my fault perhaps but it's full of ideas like that but then also if, if you to go back to the telecoms piece as far as I know, some of the most innovative work on payments, on the use of mobile phones, and I'm not talking about internet, I'm talking about places without internet. So are actually Kenya and Somalia, that Somalia has the most innovative people you could possibly imagine, but nobody, we, we don't, you know, we don't, we rarely, nobody is unfair, but we rarely talk about what we can learn from what they've already been do doing in Kenya with mobile payments. Uh, for a long time. So in, again, in terms of responding to the pandemic, they were way ahead in terms of social insurance provision via mobile phones than anywhere in Europe, for example. Yeah. Well, Kenya was the, the home of mobile phone payments. Yeah. We, we, without them, we wouldn't be having our mobile phone payments here. They were, they were right. streets ahead of the game. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting, obviously, I come from a water background and I was speaking to somebody last week in the Scottish borders who, because of a very dry summer actually they have no water they were having to pump water out of the out of the burn because their groundwater was dry and that's not normally a story that we hear of a lot in Scotland but it is a story that we hear a lot from you know sub-Saharan Africa South America and a lot across um Asian community you know across the Asian world as well um and I think again in terms of that resilience piece there's a lot of cross-learning um and I'm wondering You've obviously worked in some of the most climate stressed areas of, of the world, particularly across the Middle Eastern areas. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, what were you seeing on an everyday basis in terms of you know, the impact of, of climate change? Well, I mean, water is, is, yeah, is a massive problem in the whole of the region, but especially in that piece of Yemen and the Horn of Africa, actually, and, and some of the climate change prognosis shows that that piece of the Horn of Africa and Yemen will be the most affected. Um, Yemen is a country that doesn't actually have any running rivers. Um, there's rain and there's lots of flash floods and there's wadis, but they don't have permanent rivers. So water management is just a massive challenge and it's got better, but it's not uh, ideal. But there is so much that can be done. Um, so, so they're one extreme of it. I most recently lived in Jordan, which also has a lot of water stress, is one of the countries that uses the least water per capita just in daily life, um, but it does have a reasonable amount of rainfall. And if you speak to water engineers, they will tell you that actually there's enough water. It's just that it's not well managed. And that actually one of the problems is leaks. So I don't know if you have pipe 
pipe people in your audience. But honestly, <laughs> there is so much that can be done in the, some of these water stress communities, just in terms of helping, uh, just helping some of that basic stuff about leaks. And I know leaks is a problem in the UK. So again, it's another example of, of where, you know, cross fertilization of ideas is so important. In water stressed communities, obviously, all of those management issues of leaks and, and getting water to households is even more important to people's daily lives. But anything that we learn about it that we can share or any bit of extra technology or something is, is vitally important. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then just the simple things like, you know, the drip irrigation things, you know, just use just using much less water to achieve the same results in terms of grow, crop growth is, is massively transformative. And to go back to the idea of women managing solar power stations, sorry, I really like this project, um, is, is one of the, so that we had, I worked with UNDP, United Nations Development Program, and we had a, one of these solar microgrids in, in Somalia, which the village women managed. They, it was supposed to be on a health, I just again, it's just part of this trying to think of things more imaginatively. The idea was it was to be a solar health facility, but instead of putting the solar panels on the roof of the health facility, they put them separate, allowed, trained and encouraged the local women to manage it. They guaranteed that the health center would have all the power that they needed. That was the number one you know, first point was that they had to deliver that. But anything else, they were allowed to manage themselves. So they became, you know, the self-managers. They became the source of power in their community. And they did some solar lighting. Yeah, they did some charging of phones. But then they started doing things like drip irrigation out of it. And then from that money, they started investing in other things. And they became real business women out of the 20% of or so of the energy that they were managing. So just to go back to your point about, you know, innovation and small business, in some parts of the world, you can start that with very little and really yeah. help encourage people, I suppose is what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think probably an awful lot of learning that can happen, you know, even in Scotland, we've got a lot of activity in the renewable space, huge amount of activity in that space. But again, learning what can you do in your in your words imaginatively with that excess how could you work with the local community to engage in that and it's something we see from utilities perspective you know, we're looking at Scottish power or Scottish water or whatever those utilities are, are doing one of the things that they struggle with doing actually is engaging people and engaging communities because what they've always done is kind of do things from a very yeah. top-down approach and actually what you're describing is is um, a kind of bottom-up approach and how to really engage with with people so again there's that kind of crossover and learning that I think could be could be brought uh, to the fore through uh, you know through some linkages I think yeah um I also wanted to ask you that obviously we've got COP26 in Glasgow in a couple of weeks time now um and obviously the whole world's focus there'll be a big international focus on Scotland does this bring a big opportunity for for Scotland to showcase what it's up to what it what it's doing what will this international focus mean for us yeah, no, I think that's a very good question because I think it does, yeah, genuinely give us an opportunity. I think 
it's given those of us who are interested in, in trying to reduce our carbon emissions, I think it's given us a great opportunity to talk about all of that. But at the same time, it does give uh, business renewables, other people with imaginative solutions, a great opportunity to showcase that. In Glasgow, in front of those I mean, we're still expecting 30,000 people to come, I think. I certainly think slowly there are more people coming. Um, so it does give a genuine opportunity to showcase that. There'll be uh, media journalists from all over the world. So, you know, having something in the green zone or having, you know, people there to talk about your innovation could be quite an interesting, important audience. You have a chance to get that, I, those ideas out to the whole world. So, yes. In that sense, definitely the focus on Glasgow is very important for all of us in Scotland, but for also for you know businesses in Scotland involved in doing uh, you know innovative things around renewables or water conservation or you know recycling or or anything in that space. So it's a great opportunity, yes. And for Scotland itself, in the fact that we're it's being hosted in Glasgow. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously, it, you know, it's hosted by the UK government, but it is still being hosted in Glasgow and Scotland is a member of something called the Under Two Coalition, which is basically subnational. It's not a nice term, really. But anyway, <laughs> I think that's how they describe it as, you know, non-nation non state groups, as it were. So California, for example, is, is on the steering committee with Scotland. Uh, so, but these are, these are entities that can also make a big difference. And I think, you know, there's a space for the Scottish government to talk about that a little bit more, maybe to showcase some of what it's already engaged in, you know, so that... If, yeah, so that we can talk about it and be proud about it in Scotland and also, you know, do more to meet our own targets. Um, some would argue that sub two is not enough, of course, and that we should still be focusing on getting down to 1.5. Um, you will have heard that current predictions show that even with everything that's been committed for COP26, we are still over three degrees climate warming. So sub two might look like a more realistic target. It doesn't matter. We should be talking about it and we should be talking about Scotland's role in it. And we should be, you know, uh, pushing more on that front, I think. And how optimistic are you about us being able to meet these kind of climate change goals? Well, like I said, if we look at the UN committee itself has, has calculated that based on the commitments that the countries have made in the run-up to COP26, we're still going to be in an over three degrees warmer world. And we've all seen, I talked about the people on the front line suffering the most, but we've all seen excess uh, floods, extreme weather everywhere in the world uh, at just over one degree. So I think it's quite unimaginable to think what over three degrees means. Um, there's a few key meetings happening between now and Glasgow, including G20 and obviously the world's biggest emitters, as we said at the beginning of this, the world's biggest emitters have the biggest responsibility. So, you know, it's about reducing, it's about really, really, really reducing those emissions. And we saw during everybody's uh, reaction to the pandemic that with a bit of political will many things are possible so one has to be optimistic because otherwise it's too gloomy and doom but we shouldn't underestimate the the massive 
absolutely massive challenge that it represents. Mm. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, it's, I think, as you just said, you know, the biggest emitters have, have the biggest responsibility. And I think, but I think there's also uh, sometimes a, a lack maybe of translation between what we can do as individuals and also as businesses. I think, you know, quite often when I speak to other business leaders, what they're doing in this space, they struggle actually to look at what they can do beyond take fewer flights and encourage their staff members to recycle or to cycle to work. Um, and as I think you said before, you know, we have to look much more broadly about what our impact is. And that means looking at our supply chains and looking at, you know, could we look more close closely for our production if we're manufacturing for example could we look at how we export our products and what you know what that looks like from a transport and emissions perspective so i think i think there is something in there about businesses really analyzing their own impact from an internal operations perspective but also beyond the boundaries of business to you know in order for us really to comprehensively make a big dent in this because this isn't just incremental changes that are needed it's quite a significant shift that's that's required um and i think that you know from a business perspective it's really looking beyond just can i take the bus to work we have to think much more broadly i think in order to make that that difference um i wondered kind of on that note as a as a leader in many you know obviously you know your experience and your background is not in business but it is as a leader, I mean, and you've you know, really got a huge wealth of experience in managing multiple teams across multiple countries from multilingual experiences, multi-ethnic you know, teams. You've had a huge amount of experience, I would assume, in, in negotiation as well across you know, different, different teams and different, you know, managing very tricky examples, I would have thought. But um, so I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit in terms of what are your key lessons, I think, from a leadership perspective and, you know, to people that are managing businesses that feel like they're, you know, quite complex? What would your kind of key tips from a from a leadership perspective be managing people? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, well, I think it's about uh, there's a bit about inspiration out there, I think, perhaps. And I think what you just said, well, and what we said earlier about supply chains and things, it does feel like a daunting task, especially when you when you hear about how things crisscross the world for for some extra, you know, little piece that's tweaked on it. I think, but I think understanding that is a is a first is a first step. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that we have to do build everything at home. That that's not the solution either. It's definitely not the solution. But it is about understanding what's happening at the beginning of that supply chain, and there's increasing. And as I said, it, it's also about learning from. It is also about learning from others. And there are there is some, there are some tools out there which are now beginning to measure some of these impacts, and there are some big companies. Um, we had a discussion before about Unilever, um, but there are some companies who are really, really uh, trying um, to make sure that 
everything in the supply chain is as as ethic as environmentally sensitive but also uh, sensitive in terms of human rights and wages and um you know labor and and everything it is very difficult and they would be the first to they would be the first to agree that it's very difficult but there is some inspiration out there so i i think i would say you know you can you can feed off some other people's inspiration you can learn from what is happening in the most diverse parts of the world and you can do your little bit and in terms of business uh, this is a future where we are all talking about it if we don't if we don't deal with it um we lose our planet but i think at the same time we're now in a space where the momentum is increasing that we all realize that this the, the the way the system's working at the moment needs to change so the businesses that adapt the quickest are the ones who are going to a survive and may, and also be the most profitable so i think there's a bit of impetus to do it as well great and if there are business leaders that are listening that want to find out more about the, the alliance or how they get involved with some of your members or they want to understand more about the impact that they could have maybe working in collaboration with some of the, the charities uh, um, that are a part of your network, how would they do that? Well, they could go on our website and contact us. We'd be very happy to have more business members, genuinely, really. Uh, we really want to expand our network and to think of it in terms of everybody working together uh you know for the benefit of everybody so if there are members that are interested we would really welcome them to join us thank you and even if they wanted to get in touch just from that learning perspective you know Not maybe totally. they weren't, lot, weren't I, maybe necessarily ready to make the leap to no, no, okay. a lot of <laughs> a lot of our resources are, 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 are available are available to non-members we hold regular events and um, we have links to other networks like you know, we, as I said, mentioned before, I'd encourage people to look at the global UN's global compact. There's an SDG network alliance in Scotland. All of those are aimed at businesses, including small businesses. And there are many ways of, of getting involved and we'd be very happy to act as that gateway for people, definitely. Great. And I think there's something, you know, perhaps to be explored from internationalization as well. So a lot of Scottish businesses, you know, they work internationally and there are probably other you know, countries that are represented in your network that maybe some of our businesses would like to work in. So Absolutely. there's perhaps some lessons to be learned there as well. Great. So check out your website and get in touch and your door is open. Thank you. Yes. Excellent <laughs> message. Thank you. All right. Well, maybe we'll leave it on, on that very positive note. And we look yeah. forward to seeing your exhibition, but also to seeing what the network's got, got to, to add to the COP26 discussions. Thanks very much, Francis. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you.